Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, joining us here for the CIO Strategy Snapshot, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, welcome back. It's great to be on the mic again with you. I know we're kicking off the week on a bit of a rocky note here on a Monday morning with markets. We'll get into that, but uh, thank you again for dropping by today. Yeah, good morning, Dan. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's a uh, challenging start to the week for sure. Jason, if we think back to Friday last week, we did receive some disappointing inflation data, which was the trigger to the selling pressure we witnessed on Friday. And that concern amongst investors over inflation, that that seems to be continuing into the futures. And we're setting up here for a rocky open at 930, though. Can you summarize the data for us, Jason, the inflation data from Friday, how CIO is interpreting it? Well, let's start with the, the CPI data. You know, the headline came in at 8.6%. The expectation was, again, it was going to still be elevated number. Consensus is 83 You know, our investment bank was forecasting 8.5. So we knew it would be difficult print. It was a little worse than expected. Um, but also means that the narrative of that we had peak inflation earlier in the year, and now we're past that peak. Well, that sort of, you know, that's been disproved because the prior high was 8.5%. Um, the month-over-month increase also topped expectations. It rose 1%, and it reflected rises in prices of you know gasoline, food, rents, airfares also went up. You know, new and used car prices uh, also continued to rise after declining for for the start of the year. So it was pretty broad-based, uh, uh, and not really the really reflective of just some supply-side dislocations or high oil prices. It was fairly kind of broad-based. So that was you know the part that was also not just a level, but kind of the scope of the details was somewhat disconcerting. On top of that, the University of Michigan comes out on a monthly basis with their kind of survey of consumer sentiment, which you know also fell significantly. But as part of that survey, they asked for inflation expectations not only for one year, but also for, for kind of long-term, like five to 10 years. From an inflation perspective, from the Fed's perspective, that long-term inflation matters a lot because it reflects the, the willingness of people to ask for higher prices or higher wage increases, their expectations for, for how much prices are going to go up. That measure went from 3% to 3.3%. So it was a sizable one-month increase after it had been you know, kind of anchored at around 3% for a while. And if that goes up, that suggests that maybe inflation expectations start to become unanchored. And that's a risk to fueling these wage price spirals because as people expect prices to go up, they're going to demand higher wages. Higher wages kind of fuel higher prices and so on and so forth. So that data point was the kind of cherry on top of already a bad inflation Sunday. Uh, and that sort of fueled the concerns. Now, if we're looking for some sort of silver linings, uh, you know, there's details that will suggest, all right, ultimately still some of the trends are in the right direction. Goods inflation continues to moderate, which that should continue because we're seeing now the, the shift from goods consumption, you know, more and more to investors or, or households buying more services. We're also hearing reports of a lot of inventory kind of build up. So you'd like to see some goods prices continue to decline going forward. Um, the core inflation did decline. It was 6% on an annualized basis. Consensus expected 5.9%. The prior month was 6.2%. So a decline, not much as expected, but at least the core measures are continuing to go in the right direction. And there were certainly some data points and features that simply aren't sustainable. You know, airfares were up 19% month over month. This reflects, you know, both oil prices went up, but just, you know, summer travel season, people want to get out and travel. That may lead to higher airfares throughout the summer, but as we move late in the summer into the fall, those airfares should start to, to moderate, even this you potentially kind of come down. So in terms of 
you know, some of the, the one-offs, again, they should sort of, you know, kind of moderate. So the trend towards moderate inflation still looks, you know, plausible and likely. But what we can see is inflation almost more plateauing, you know, throughout the summer before it starts to come down. And the longer it stays at level, the risk is that it's just going to become harder for it to come down eventually. So uh, definitely, you know, not good news on the inflation front on Friday, um, but also not inconsistent with inflation necessarily moderating over to, over time. Maybe just the pace of moderation is, is not what we would have invested what we were expecting before. Jason, it was interesting. Post the data release, some market participants suggested that the inflation news is a game changer for the market. So why do they say that? And do you agree with that interpretation? So ultimately, I think when people look at the data and say that, you know, inflation hasn't peaked and may continue to rise. It's essentially plateauing at a very elevated level. Now, inflation expectations are going up. All this means the Fed is going to have to be much more aggressive and hiking the rates to, to cool inflation. And we've seen that significant moves uh, in interest rates you just since Friday in terms of the two-year yield, the 10-year yield going up, the market pricing for, for Fed rate hikes. That's increased like one full hike you know, or more than that you know, this year. Um, and so that's all feeling the concerns that if there was some hope for a soft landing for the economy, some investors and these people are kind of making this argument saying, well, there's now there's almost like no hope that inevitably inflation is too high. If it has to become much more aggressive, we're going to get some sort of hard landing. Now, the, the question is the timing, but that's where people kind of view this as a game changer. So therefore, there's more just market downside. Uh, the way I would sort of interpret it is that it's not necessarily a game changer because if we think of the overall market dynamic that's persisted for many months now, it's been one where inflation is, if it's high, you know, and at, at a very elevated level, the labor market is very tight. We know that the Fed is in the mindset of having to you know, tighten policy, tighten financial conditions, all of it to kind of slow economic growth, to cool the economy and bring inflation down. If that's the case, that's not a great environment for risk assets. Uh, and we've seen that this year. And so the news on Friday and this morning doesn't change any of that. So, you know, that sort of market dynamic kind of persists. Now, how long that might continue of the Fed being in that mindset and that mode, this might be extended, you know, longer than otherwise would have been the case. But generally speaking, that market dynamic hasn't necessarily changed. Another thing is, you know, this the, the high inflation is fueling, you know, Fed tightening that's going to ultimately lead to potentially a hard landing. You know, that's always been certainly a, a sizable risk at some point in time. But part of the reason why inflation is staying elevated is that growth has actually been quite resilient. And if we look at some of the, you know, the data that's driving it, you know, particularly consumer spending, it's still holding up quite well despite interest rates going up and despite inflation being at an elevated level. And if we look at some of the data that we can see thus far for May, like just even credit card spending data, it's still showing consumer spending up something in the range of like you know eight to ten percent year over year. Now that a lot of that you can say is just due to inflation, because if inflation is eight point six percent and then spending goes up eight point six percent, well you're not actually buying more, it's just all reflective of higher prices. And so it's true that real spending is probably, you know, maybe flat, even slightly negative. And as that continues, you know, that, that becomes a concern later on because that means, you know, consumer spending isn't holding up. But if you then go beneath the details, what you're seeing is also a normalization of spending patterns. So people are buying less goods, they're buying more services. This goes back to the inflation data where goods inflation is actually coming down from elevated levels. But this is being offset by higher kind of services inflation that that continues to kind of pick up the slack. So you net it all out. Inflation really isn't coming down very much. What it tells you, though, is, is growth is holding up, you know, quite resiliently. The labor market data is still showing, you know, you know quite quite a bit of strength. Consumer balance sheets are still in a very healthy situation, so they can take on, you know, more debt. I mean, some of the the, the additional spending could be financed by credit card spending, which is okay in the short term. Longer term, it certainly becomes more of a problem. 
But in terms then of the market dynamics, thinking about you know the growth outlook for the next year, we think a recession is unlikely during that time period, and Friday's data doesn't necessarily change that dynamic. Ultimately, it's going to take the Fed a while, you know, probably until this year end before policy starts to become somewhat restrictive. And then we know it can take anywhere from six to 12 months before that really starts to toy on growth and, and sort of raise the risk of recession. So recession risk certainly rises kind of further out of the horizon when you look at it, but at least in terms of this year, the next nine to 12 months, barring some sort of external shock, that still looks like an unlikely scenario, given the economic momentum that's taking place, given the resilience of the, or the strength of the labor market and the balance sheet strength for both households and corporates, which there's a lot of sort of essentially dry powder to be able to absorb some of the problems that we're just being, you know, that are happening right now. So if things don't improve on the inflation front, that certainly kind of continues to change the narrative. But if we think of the big picture in terms of a game changer, at least in the next six to 12 months, the news on Friday on inflation doesn't really, in my mind, sort of you know, meet the criteria of being a game changer, given what's already been known and what's already been taking place thus far in the markets this year. So, Jason, the question becomes how this inflation data, what we've been seeing over the past few reporting cycles, how that might translate to the monetary policy course going forward. And I know this week all eyes will be on the Fed. We do have the FOMC meeting kicking off tomorrow, Tuesday. We will hear from the Fed on their policy decision on Wednesday of this week. So what does Jason, the chief investment office, expect to hear from the Fed given this latest inflation news? So the, the, we already knew that a, a rate hike of at least 50 basis points was almost a certainty. I think what, and even a few weeks ago, you know, we knew that 50 was very, very likely in June and July. The question was September, if it'd be like 25 thereafter. And there was even some chatter among Fed officials and governors that maybe a pause in September was possible. I think that is definitely off the table. The market is now pricing uh, not only 50 basis points for June, July, now September, but somewhere in that time frame, if you think about what we did in the September, it's, it's pricing in, in one uh, 75 basis point rate hike, which is more for, for the July time frame. There is a possibility, and some people are calling for the Fed to hike 75 basis points uh, this week, but that's a possibility. Um, now, because the Fed is in the blackout period, uh, meaning they can't comment on anything that's happened in the markets and leading up to the meeting, and they can't do that for 10 days prior to it, there isn't a chance for any official to kind of guide the market to say 75 basis points as possible. Generally speaking, the Fed doesn't like to surprise the markets, and so since they were have been saying 50 basis points all along, they could err on the side of caution, say 50 basis points, and do 50 basis points this week, but then guide to say in July, you know, 75 basis points is very much on the table depending on how the data kind of plays out. Instead of a firm that maybe it's going to be in multiple months and use certain language implying that we need to get to neutral expeditiously, meaning, you know, policy rate of at least two and a half percent, you know, as soon as possible. And so that would hint at, you know, three fifty basis points and somewhere in there maybe a seventy five basis point rate hike. So it comes down maybe to more of the timing whether they want to do seventy five basis points this month. It's probably not likely they do, but it's certainly on the table. And if not now, then probably for the July timeframe. If we just look at what the market is pricing in terms of hikes by the end of this year, uh, you know, six weeks ago or in April, it was at 240 basis points or 2.4%. That's where the Fed funds rate would be. Now the market's at 3.1%. So that's over two, almost two and a half hikes more now than were then more priced just six weeks ago. So I think that the, the, the inflation data kind of amplified that. Uh, we think it's likely the Fed's going to be probably in the 2 and 2.75 to 3%. So the market price is maybe a little more aggressive than we think is likely from the Fed. The other key thing that we're going to get from the Fed is an updated dot plot, and that would indicate you know where they expect to be by year-end, but also where they expect inflation, growth, and the unemployment rate to be at the end of this year, next year, and 2024. 
there should be a big increase in their inflation numbers for this year, just given where the data is. I mean, they, they will have to raise it even higher. But you're also likely to see a downgrade of growth for this year, closer to something like 2% uh, from before. It was around 2.7% at the March meeting. And then if you look at next year and then 2024, it's quite possible the growth targets could be below 2%, which would signal that the Fed believes that they have to kind of get growth below sort of trend around 2% in order to bring inflation down. Because the inflation numbers are not likely to change that much, certainly for 2024, which is around 2.5%. Because basically what the Fed will say is, our target is to get inflation to that level by the end of 2024. If necessary, we'll raise rates even more than currently is priced or currently what we're anticipating uh, or have been anticipating to bring inflation down. So the inflation forecasts are likely to change. What's likely to change then is the assumptions of what growth will be. And it's probably growth is marked down potentially quite significantly, even to below trend, with potentially also the unemployment rate rising. Uh, and so that's the key things to watch for. Then, of course, during the commentary, any hints or signs from, from Jay Powell in terms of, you know, what a 75 basis point is likely, they may try and indicate and say, yes, it's, it's kind of a done deal for, for July. They did such, he did something like that in, in April where he said basically 50 basis points, you know, kind of pencil that in for, for June and July. So they may try to give more explicit guidance. I think the key question that the markets will really be looking for is how much beyond the neutral rate, how much the over 3% the Fed is willing to do. So that's where he's likely to be pressed. And they may be willing to give some sort of guidance or they may remain sort of vague at this point in time. The, the, the situation, though, is for the, you know, it's, it's, given the deflation environment is very difficult and challenging, it's almost, you know, very, you know, little the Fed can do to assuage markets. If they don't do enough, the markets might think they're not harsh enough. If they do too much, they think the, the market might say, well, this we weren't quite expecting this. So it's a very small needle that the, the Fed can try and thread at this meeting without the markets reacting to some extent potentially negatively. So I think we should be, be prepared for the markets being underwhelmed no matter what the Fed does, just given the challenge they face right now. So Jason, if we tie this all back to the markets, we've covered the selling pressure from Friday and we do see the red on the screen this morning. I know equity markets here in the U.S. set to open in just about five minutes. But Jason, how do you see the latest inflation news affecting market performance in both the near term and medium term? Well, at least in terms of the near term, you know, continued volatility, high volatility, I think it's just, well, well that's, that's, we can take that almost as a given. Um, you know, right now, we're in a situation where almost any news for the market is negative news. So even good growth data is, is perceived negatively because that means, well, the economy isn't slowing. The Fed has to get more aggressive and raise rates to cool the economy to bring growth below trend to cool the labor market. So there's very little that the market review is sort of positive news at this front, other than inflation data kind of coming down or being better than expected, especially after the data that we got last week, which means uh, anything that kind of comes out, given the lens that investors have right now, could be viewed sort of you know, somewhat negatively for the markets, which means there's certainly more scope for the downside in the very near term. Uh, the you know the market is investors have been very bearish, and so one of the maybe the, the silver linings is that people have already been very bearish. Portfolios have been sort of de-risked. So some, no one's been sort of caught off guard by this inflation data, even though it was, it was worse than expected. So this isn't something where investors suddenly have to kind of de-risk their portfolios. But it does mean that the people who might have been a little more optimistic and willing to be stepping as buyers, whether it's in equities or credit or even, you know, safe treasuries, they're unwilling to do so perhaps right now until we get sort of, you know, a little bit more clarity in terms of when we've reached kind of maximum pain which leads to the scope of sort of, you know, more downsides, at least in the very near near term. The other thing is that the markets in some way are trading actually more on growth fears and inflation. We saw the markets really being driven by inflation for the first four months of this year. And a simple way to see that is 
when the market's worried about inflation, they expect the Fed to raise rates. That's negative for fixed income. That's also negative for equities. So therefore, you got a positive correlation between those returns. They're both selling at the same time. Starting in early May, the dynamic changed a little bit where the markets became more worried about growth because we saw inflation come down. So the expectation was that we peaked inflation. Inflation is going to moderate. But now the focus is, well, is growth slowing too much? Is the risk of recession higher? In that situation, you actually see situ- you know, cases where equities sell off, but bonds rally, yields fall, because now you have the expectations, well, maybe the Fed won't have to hike as much. In the past week or two, we saw, leading up to the inflation data, a little bit of change in that dynamic where people became maybe a little bit more concerned about inflation. And certainly the inflation data would suggest the focus is on inflation. Uh, and the fact that equities have sold off on Friday, and it looks like they're going to sell off today, and same with bonds, would suggest that inflation is the main driver. The difference, though, is now you're seeing commodities sell off. And commodities are selling off because the concern is that global growth will, will slow materially. Uh, and so when you see that sort of dynamic across the board, that to me is an indication that the markets are resetting and, you know, Fed rate hiking expectations, and that's feeling the growth concerns, and that's why both equities and commodities are down on, on Friday and also appear to be down again today. So that's the mindset, uh, you know, in the very near term, that's the dynamic in the very near term. But going back to the, you know, the points I made in terms of the, the growth outlooks in the next six months, 12 months of a recession was, you know, you know, still being, you know, relatively contained. Once we kind of get through this period of, of, you know, uncertainty of volatility, especially during the summer, we should get more clarity that inflation is starting to moderate later this year. So the fears of maybe the, of the hard landing scenario will dial back a little bit. And so I think on, on from, from a year-end perspective, we still see you know, probably upside from where equity markets are at this point in time. But the path to getting there might actually entail more pain before we actually start to get some gain. So, Jason, in consideration of that outlook, coupled with conditions as they currently are, maybe we can close out and talk about what investors should be doing with respect to their portfolio allocation at the moment. So what is the chief investment office, Jason, recommending as far as asset allocation? Well, going back to the point of volatility being high, we can hear the investors should continue to prepare for, prepare for high volatility. Uh, and so some of that means you're know, getting perhaps a little bit more defensive in your portfolio, um, you know, having you know some higher quality you know across both equities and fixed income. So the theme that we've liked for a while is uh, you know up in quality in, in equities, you know quality income, dividend paying stocks, things like healthcare. We continue like that as opposed to outright defensiveness at this point in time. Uh, same thing with fixed income, sort of moving up in quality. So there was a period of time where you know, credit spreads had, had widened out uh, about two, you know, a couple of weeks ago. They became a little more interesting, but we think ultimately an environment where people are concerned about kind of growth slowing down, then you know, right now better to sort of play it safe on the, on the credit side and sort of you know, kind of go up in quality. So I think that's that's one thing to do in terms of preparing for for volatility. Um, you know, that can mean you know, uh, you know, trying to, to build up some sort of you know cash positions, but also trying to take advantage of of some sort of you know, volatility. So uh, to the extent that you can use like structured notes to provide some sort of downside protection, give us you know, how much downside we already have, you know, sort of use volatility as to your advantage rather than sort of playing defense. We continue to think inflation is going to be sort of, you know, a, a multi-year perspective of being at elevated levels. And in that environment, uh, you know, value stocks tend to be better. And we've seen that, too, you know, just over the past couple of weeks where values continue to outperform growth as interest rates go higher. So leaning your equity portfolio a little more towards value stocks, especially for those investors who've built up you know, significant growth positions. Maybe they've trimmed that a little bit, but to continue to at least at the margin, you shift a little bit more from growth towards value. Uh, another thing is to look towards alternative asset classes, particularly from a long-term perspective, as they have provided some better returns. 
hedge fund strategies, some of those hedge fund strategies also are good sort of diversifiers, especially in an environment where if interest rates continue to tick up a little bit and bonds aren't providing the same kind of diversification as they had before. And then from a longer-term perspective, one of the things that we like is kind of investing for an era of security. And this is kind of broadly defined. Some of it is, um, you know, uh, geopolitical security. Some of it is military security, but it also could be food security, as we're seeing food prices go up, and even you know, talks of companies not or countries not wanting to export food. So anything that's sort of related to some sort of form of security, that's in a sort of a thematic idea that we think will continue to have sort of legs. An environment where a lot of you know, growth-oriented themes are struggling at this point in time, this is one that we think has has more scope for our performance. Well, Jason, very productive and helpful conversation to begin the week. And I know today is setting up to perhaps be a challenging session. So very helpful to hear some context as to what's driving the market activity, how investors should respond. And of course, a lot here we can follow up on in particular with what we might hear from the Fed on Wednesday. So looking forward to continuing the conversation, though. Jason, thank you again for your time this morning. Appreciate it as always. You're welcome and have a good week. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. And again, this morning, we've been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.